Welcome to our Extraordinary Stories podcast brought to you by the League of Extraordinary Women. The League was started by four female entrepreneurs in Melbourne, Australia in 2011 and are now on the fast track to worldwide domination. So watch this space. The purpose of our podcast series is to bring you some insights into some of the world's leading female entrepreneurs, their journeys, the highs, the lows, and the key takeaways from their business adventures. We like to keep it real and raw, and our editing is always kept to a minimum. These are real stories from extraordinary women. So welcome to our extraordinary stories. We always love to kickstart our podcast with a burst of inspiration. So here's our quote for the day. Heroines get remembered, but legends never die. This can certainly be said for our guest today, a legend in League Town, Sarah Regalhoof. So Sarah's actually been recognised as one of Australia's leading young entrepreneurs and has been listed as one of Melbourne's top 100 most influential, inspiring and creative citizens by the age in 2011. That's quite the mouthful. She's also been on Shoestring, or now known as Startup Daily's top 50 female entrepreneurs under 40, and she is pretty damn good. So, welcome Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for having me, and I'm so excited about this podcast. We are all excited by our extraordinary stories. I know. That is the title of our podcast. I love it, and I can't wait to actually listen every week and hear all so of you. This one especially, oh. obviously. <laughs> um, so tell me, Sarah, like you have, um, we can we can head right back to your the start of your story, but I mean, you now have five businesses, so you are the quintessential entrepreneur. But take us right back to the start. So did you always want to go into business for yourself, or is it something you stumbled in? What, what happened? Um, yeah, I guess I definitely didn't always think that I was going to be an entrepreneur. It's not really something that I thought of as being an option for me. Um, But that being said, I looked back on my life and I was always quite entrepreneurial. Like I used to sell our guinea pigs out the front of our house and I used to sell mum's vegetables out of the fridge and like go and have a stall and mum would find me like trying to sell stuff that she'd just gone and bought from the shop. And I was always doing little things like that, coming up with ways to make money and have my own little businesses. But I think once I got through high school and all that, I didn't you know, I lost a lot of that and I didn't really, I wasn't thinking of it as being what I was going to go and do at all. Um, I went to a state high school. I wasn't even encouraged to go to university, to be honest. I hear you were a bit of a bad girl. I was quite naughty. Oh, yeah, they're rebellious. Um, I was rebellious. I actually got kicked out of my first high school. Oh, dear. Yeah, I was at a private school and um, I got expelled, but I didn't, they asked me to leave. So officially I wasn't expelled. Officially you left then yourself. Officially I left, mm-hmm. but um, there was no option for me to stay. <laughs> I said no, and they said no, you've got to go. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> um, it was a pretty traumatic experience, actually. And I think I found it hard because, you know, I wasn't, I basically was talking in class all the time. I was just distracted. I wasn't doing anything, you know, actually bad. Um, but I felt really rejected at that mm-hmm. point in my life. And then I went to a state school, and it was actually a good school, and I had still amazing friends from that school and it was a good experience but really you know the difference I think in that state school education was just there was no you know go to uni there wasn't even go to TAFE there was no pathway for what I was going to what I could be doing and no one really to inspire me my parents did but sort of from the school and the people I was around and I really just thought I just got to get a good job and just have security like that's what I thought and for me a good job at that time yeah the great Aussie dream I think I was thinking okay I need to get a job that's going to pay me like Twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year. Like I thought that would be Dream big. good. Yeah, I was really <laughs> thinking big back then. Um, and probably the best thing that happened was a friend of mine was living overseas, and I got on the phone to her one day, and I was just in a funny mood. I was annoyed at something, and she was like, "Why don't you just come over?" And I was like, "Yeah, why don't I?" And I went, and it was the best thing I so ever. How did. old were you when you did that? Eighteen. Just, it was the year I finished. The year after I finished school, and I'm just so glad I did it because it completely opened my mind up to what I could 
do with my life and I no longer wanted to just get that job that paid me very little salary and just be happy with that. Um, and How long did you travel for? Uh, six months yeah. and then I came back to Australia and I went down to moved back down to Melbourne because I was in Brisbane at the time and I guess that's when like I started working with my dad and I started seeing him as a business owner and entrepreneur. Tell us about your dad's business and what did your dad do? So he was in financial planning as well um, and I started working for him and really fell in love with what financial planning is and what it can do for people and realised that it's really something that changes people's lives, it enables them to live the life that they dream of um, and you can make money doing it. So I kind of looked at it and thought, well that's just a great career, I love it and I had this opportunity to work in a family business, to run that business um, and so I threw myself into it pretty much. Because you stepped up um, quite young into quite a lead role in that business, so you were, were you thrown in the deep end somewhat? Did you have to learn and think on your feet? Oh, kind of. Were I mean, you ready? No, not when I got thrown in the deep end, but I, I worked with him for a while and I travelled overseas for a couple of years and I came back and that's when I got thrown in the deep end. So I came back, I was 25 and um, he ended up getting sick with rotary fever like within the year that I got back and he was out for nearly 18 months. He barely came into the office, um, he was pretty unwell and obviously you know, couldn't do too much and I just naturally sort of stepped in and started taking on a lot of the business management side of things and that's what really gave me the confidence to go, oh, I don't just need to work for someone else, I could actually run a business. And so what was the biggest um, learning for you or what was your aha moment where you thought, actually, I can do this for myself because you've obviously left your dad's business, you're no longer running that, are you? No, no. no. So you've left your dad's business, you started your own. Yeah. Um, so what was the catalyst or what happened that thought you thought, oh? Well, I think it was like when he was sick and I saw how much I was capable of doing and keeping the business running and you know he said some things to me when he came back that when he got better that were really affirm, affirmed that how well I've done and everything and I think that gave me the confidence I still don't think I was considering it per se because my intention at that point was to take over that business mm. so I knew I would one day run that business but I hadn't really thought of being an entrepreneur and like starting different companies and doing different things but um, I was at a conference in the end of 2009 and I met Finn and Finn is Sarah's husband, if you're not aware. <laughs> um, yeah, we literally fell in love at first sight, like started dating straight away and then just started talking about what we wanted for our lives and what we were doing and we ended up starting our first company six weeks after we met. So it was well, a, a pretty meeting. quick turnaround. Yeah, it's the meeting of the minds and we knew what a we meeting of the hearts, the meeting of the minds. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously you were already, you'd already identified, you were quite passionate about financial planning and, and what it actually, as a tool to what it could provide for people's lives. Yep. So what was Finn's background? Did you have to convince him to go down that path or was that no, something, what I mean, was his background? What well, was he good at? Yeah, he was an army officer for seven years, so that was quite unrelated, but he'd been out of the military for about a year or two, I think, at the time, and he'd been trading currency and trading stock and doing really well and kind of keeping himself afloat, well, more than afloat, he was doing great. But he was at the point where he was like, I think I need to go and get a job again, I'm getting a bit bored of just trading currency all night long. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't the dream that you know, I think he thought it was going to be. Mm. But So he was thinking about getting into investment banking because he really believed in investments and you know having control of your money as well because he had done that for himself. Um, and then when we met, I was very interested in the strategic side of financial advice. He was very good on investments, and so we thought, well, that's a great skill set, so let's do it. And we built a marriage. Yes, literally. Yes. So, so that was kind of the catalyst then. You met, um, you had two different but very complementary skill sets, mm -hmm. and you started yep. Wealth Enhancers. So tell us about the early days of Wealth Enhancers. What was it like sort of starting a business after six weeks, having met this new guy who's in your life now, you've only known him a very short period of time. Um, I know a lot of people who have partners from 
a long time and we're going to businesses and so mm. that you know you know within six weeks you're going you're starting a business together you've embarked on a new relationship together tell us about those early days yeah I mean it was really tough like in the beginning I think it was exciting though and we were very passionate about what we were doing and the business was called Wealth Enhancers it's now called WS Private um, because it, it, it was a private wealth management, or it is a private wealth management firm, and we've sort of taken wealth, the new wealth enhancement in a different direction. But, you know, we were really young, like Finn was 24 and I was 27, um, and I say that in the context of who we were dealing with. So we were, our clients were kind of 60, 50 to 70 years old, and it was just, you know, it was, it was scary, but I, we had some kind of confidence and courage that I sometimes look back now and go, how did we do that? But we did it. Um, and, but it was tough. Like, I think the biggest mistake we made was building a business that was so dependent on us. Um, that's been a real challenge. It's still a challenge to this day with that company um, because all of those clients, Finn and I went out and we were the ones that and they came on the door with us. Yeah. Exactly. And so, they don't want to let go. No, they don't want to let go. And I mean, we love them as well. They're amazing people. Um, so that's probably, you know, that was tough. There was a lot of pressure on us, you know, even in those early stages. But I think really the, the tough stuff at the beginning was just around... You know, you're not paying yourself. We didn't pay ourselves for nearly two years. We were just living off savings. Um, totally inexperienced with managing staff. Like, I'd never managed anyone. Um, Finn had, but in a much different context in the military. Mm. He did get some really great leadership skills from that, though. But just so inexperienced with so many things, like negotiating, um, just learning all the time. And it, it was a really tough period. Um, and the first year, we only had one staff member. Um, and she was part-time. She was still at uni. So we were really hands-on, doing everything, um, probably weren't very good at delegating at that point either. Um, so I was full-on working probably yeah, 12 to 16-hour days every day, not seeing family and friends. That probably carried on for the first three or four years um, that we were in business. And it's been the last sort of two that we've been able to wind back a bit and my family are quite happy because I answer their phone calls now. <laughs> um, so did you experience any kind of mental blocks um, along the way? And, you know, what was, I guess, the biggest one that you felt was holding you back from becoming that, really owning that entrepreneurial I think, identity? Yeah, I think I've always been quite full of self-doubt and I still have it around certain things. So it's always something you've got to keep pushing through, I think. But back then I was very, very filled with doubt. So I didn't doubt, like, that we were in business or what we were doing, but I doubted myself. So I guess because I, I had Finn there and we were kind of doing this thing together and you know, we had Freya working for us, I wasn't doubting that at all. I never doubted our business or the success of our business. I doubted my part in it. And I think, you know, I used to get nervous for client meetings. I hated public speaking, kind of anything like that. But I knew that if I wanted to be successful and I wanted to build a business anything like what my dad built, I had to sort of do some of the things that he was doing. And he was very much out there talking to the media and those sorts of things. And I just really just spent a lot of time beating myself up and telling myself that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't going to be able to make it happen. And I remember one day just walking along in South Melbourne. I don't know, nothing happened, but I just had this kind of light bulb moment for me where I just said, what is the point of doubting yourself, Sarah? Like, it doesn't help anyone. It's not going to help that client that you're going to go and see this afternoon if you're sitting here doubting your ability. It's not helping you. It's not helping your business. Like, there's actually no point to doubting yourself. There's no positive outcome that can come out of letting all these thoughts go in your head. And it was just a real moment where I just started to change the way I was thinking and just say, no, I can do this. And as I say, I still get I still get filled with doubt over certain things, but I always know I can push through it. And what, um, tell us a little bit about an early success that, you know, kept you going. I would say being named in that top 100 
um, that you mentioned in the intro by The Age, Mel Magazine. Um, that was incredible. So I think that was in 2011. How did that come about? I remember. I just got a call um, from them saying, well, you know, you, you, it looks like you're doing some interesting things because I guess they curate that list every year from just different people. So they've just seen some of the articles I've written and I think, you know, from what they said, like they'd never really had a young person in finance in that list and they were quite interested in, you know, what I was doing and who I was and what I was representing, I suppose. Um, but that was just like an amazing feeling to have that. It was this beautiful, glossy magazine, the Melbourne magazine, um, and the, the, the edition is the top 100 and the whole edition is just this 100 people. And it was just such a proud moment to be featured in that. Um, and it was one of those things that helped me kick the doubt, I guess, you know, and just say, well, look, someone else is recognising you for the things that you've been doing. And from that, um, I got approached by Wiley to write my book, Get Rich Slow. And so that was just another huge affirmation that what I was doing right, was what I was doing was right. And um, when I did my book launch, I remember my um, editor came to the book launch and she gave a little speech and she said, and I didn't know why they'd approached me, but she said that she said, we've never seen a young female finance person in that top 100 list or any list of that kind and that's why we were intrigued to reach out to me and ask if I wanted to write a book. So, so take us through that process of writing a book because that's a fairly um, significant milestone. So what, what actually happened? How What was the process from the point that they contacted you to the, the publishing of the book? Well, it was really cool because I guess I'd always had a thought in my head like I'd love to write a book one day but it certainly wasn't something I was thinking about or working on at that time at all. So this is one of those things that I think really fell in my lap and I, I feel very grateful for it because not many things fall in my lap. Most of them I work really hard for, um, but this certainly was. And and so I, because I, as I say, I wasn't really thinking about it. I didn't, I hadn't even planned how I would do it or when I would do it. Um, and I remember Lucy called me and I was just about to go to South America for six weeks or something, but I was like, I'm definitely interested. Oh my gosh, I'm like going to the airport right now. So we had a good chat. She was like, look, you know, you're going to have to still do a proposal and we need to talk through what you could do and what you could write. And we came up with a bit of a plan um, around the Get Rich Flow book on the phone and she suggested that I try to put together a, a sample chapter. And so I wrote, I probably had written about 15% of the book while I was in South America. So I just started like tucking away whenever I had some spare time. Um, and when I got back, I did my proposal and my submission, they accepted it and everything. And that was when I really had to get serious because now I was on a contract and we had some deadlines and things like that. So, so you started, so you had We Private, We Private yeah. at that point, and then you'd also started Wealth Enhancement? Uh, I don't, we hadn't even started, oh, you know what? We started Wealth Enhancement, so that was the end of 2011 that I got approached about the book, went away, came back, and we started Wealth Enhancement around sort of started experimenting with it around May 2012. And I actually used the opportunity to move to Sydney for six weeks to write my book and launch Wealth Enhancers up there. So when we started Wealth Enhancers, we pretty much started in Melbourne and Sydney at the same time. Um, we'd been experimenting in Melbourne for a little little longer, but it basically started in, in Sydney at the same time. So I went up there for six weeks and I spent two days in the office with the guy who was running things up there. And then I spent three days at home writing the book and yeah. So what has been your biggest challenge then? You mentioned self-doubt earlier as a mental block, but in a business sense, what has been the biggest challenge for you personally as a leader and entrepreneur? I've got two answers to that question. I think, I mean, I've really found staff management quite challenging and, and leadership and trying to be a good leader. I think that doubt sort of plays into that. But I have very proactively, you know, I constantly try to improve my leadership. Um, but I have really struggled a lot with, 
being able to separate the personal. So I remember when my first staff member ever left, I was crying my eyes out, like just thinking, oh my God, she's rejecting me. <laughs> you know, and it was just, she started with us. She'd been with me for a couple of years and because she worked with me and my dad's coming, she was at uni and then, you know, of course she's going to go out, but I took it really personally. I think that's something I've always struggled with a bit at, at, in terms of my leadership is being able to not take things personally and I'm far better at it now, but yeah, that's, that's been a challenge. Um, why do you think you take it personally? I don't know. I think it's just, to me, it represents some form of rejection or something, like in the context of someone leaving or something not working out, you know. I, I don't know why, though. I'm not sure. I like to be liked. Don't <laughs> <laughs> we all? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I really, I naturally like most people. That's mm. my way. I don't know how to explain that. but And I guess that I want other people to like me as well. So, yeah, it's... um. Say, I've gotten a lot better at it, but it's just something that has always challenged me a little bit. And I also really like being around people and being around my friends. And so I've all I've often employed friends, um, which is challenging in itself. And uh, you know, it gets even harder because you manage the personal. Yeah, yeah, two different relationships. Yeah. yeah, but I'm still, you know, a bit of a believer in it because I just love working with people that I trust and that I love being around. And so I'm not giving up on it altogether. But I think you know, you've got to sometimes spread the pool a little wider as to, you know, your talent pool. But I, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, very early on when we started our business, we were about a year and a bit in, and we had a receptionist who was 18 years old, um, gorgeous young thing, and we had her on a training ship. She'd been with us for about four or five months, I think. And at that time, she was our first hire after Freya. So Freya had come with us from day one, and we'd gone a year, and then finally, like, right, we're ready to grow. So we got Laura. Um, she was our receptionist, and then we had Tina who came in as an intern. So we had this little team of five, and it was really great. Like, we felt like things are starting to roll, we're starting to move, um, the business is growing, it's really exciting. And um, Freya resigned. As I said, I was crying, it was very upsetting. I called my dad, and he was like, Don't worry, this is going to happen to you a hundred times in your 4,000 times in your business career, which put it in perspective. But the, the following week, so Freya had just resigned, the following week, I got a call from um, Laura's dad at like 8 a.m. on Monday morning, and I saw I answered the phone, and um, you know I was like, "Hi, Sarah," and he said, "Oh, hi, Sarah. It's Phil, um, Laura's dad." And I, my immediate thought was, "Oh God, she's getting her parents to call in sick for her or something." Because I, you know, that's just what you kind of. Why else would mm. you know one of your staff members' parents be calling you? And and he said, um, he said, "Laura's not going to be coming into work today um, or ever again because." She was killed in a car accident on the weekend. And I was just like, oh, my God. And say that's not what I was expecting to happen in that moment. And Finn was away. I remember he was overseas. And Freya had just resigned. She was still in the company. But I had to go, you know, I dropped to the floor. I remember it was just horrible. And then I had to go into the office and tell the other girls. And uh, it was just really the worst experience in my life. And we had, like, such a tiny um, office at that point. Um, and because she was in the reception, and we got like 50 bunches of flowers sent to us by all the people in the finance industry and every you know clients and everything. The whole reception area was just covered in flowers, which was lovely. But like you just didn't want to be in the office walking past that receptionist every day, thinking about this beautiful, vivacious young woman who just had her life ripped away from her. Like it was horrible. Um, and you know, at the same time, then we'd been a year and a half in business. It was really tough. Just had 
basically our teams just gone. We got, got we were like with an intern. Yeah. Like that was it. And I was we just wanted to give up. We were like, what? It's not even worth it. Like this is shit. But then I started thinking about my clients, and I did think about my intern, and I thought about you know the responsibility and obligation that we have to those people, and that kind of helped me get back on the horse and helped us get back into it. But I think that experience, um, and then like a lot for my dad two years ago. But those were two of the really big challenges. And I, I look back at that and I go, you know what, those are genuine challenges. All the other stuff is just a little problem that you need to solve. And that really helps me put things in perspective because I'm like, you know, the loss of life is far more significant than, I don't know, someone's complaint or, you know, having to give a staff member some bad feedback or then giving you bad feedback. Like, you know, all these little things that on a day-to-day -day basis can get under our skin and make us feel challenged and feel frustrated and... You know, if you let that stuff get to you too much, you just create a really negative environment. And having had some actual seriously bad things happen, um, it just I've always just looked back and I think that nothing's as bad as it those times. Yeah, yeah. As to what are the really meaningful things. Exactly, yeah. So with We Private, how long did you have it before you launched what Love Pinsons? So it was about uh, two and a bit years, yeah, two and a half years, let's say. Yeah. And so where did the idea of Love Pinsons you know, we were dealing with all of these high net worth, older kind of people and people our age were coming, our friends saying, well, can you help us, can you do this for us and what, what should I be doing? And we were thinking, oh, well, no, we're dealing with people that are worth 10 to $40 million managing large amounts of their money. It's totally different from telling someone how to start saving and how to start their first investment. Um, and so we were thinking, okay, well, we can't really do it, but maybe we can refer them to someone because we started looking around who deals with Gen Y, who deals with young people. Literally no one, like couldn't find anyone to refer our, our friends to. And so we thought, okay, well, there's something in this. Played around with it, built a model, started bringing on a couple of younger clients just to see, you know, what, how it worked and whether it would, would fly. And it started getting really good results. So we thought, okay, let's launch it into its own. I think in the beginning, we just launched it as a, like an offering within the company. And then we ended up splitting the company about a year later because... Totally different, totally different staff, totally different marketing, mm -hmm. you know, completely different. The other one's like, you know, a private, basically like a family office, like a private wealth management service. And then Gen, our Gen Y business, Wealth Enhancers, is really, um, you know, it's morphed into, it's a community. So it's a community of high achieving, high performing young people who are really trying to make something of their lives and do, you know, live this rich, amazing life filled with great experiences and recognising that they need money to be able to do that and they need to be able to... Money is the tool. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And so we've kind of combined coaching because that's the bit that's actually going to get them there. Um, with the with, system. With the system, yeah, exactly, which yeah we refer to as the Get Rich Slow philosophy. And, and it's exactly what Finn and I do with our own money. So we've been doing it for five years. So we're, we are the longest-standing members um, and we've done every single thing that we do for our members, we've done it or do it ourselves. So there's not a single thing that anyone would be doing that we haven't already done. So how involved are you and Finn on a daily basis now with Wealth Enhancers and We Private? Um, so We Private, Finn's fairly involved with the clients. Um, we've got a general manager in there, and so I'm not that involved. Like, I, I'm the CEO, so I check in with her and make sure things are... So I probably check in with her about once a week um, and get across stuff if I need to. But, yeah, on average, I'd say once a week. Wealth enhances, you know, very much every day. Still 
chatting, but we, as I said, we don't see any of the members ourselves. We've got a team. We've got, you know, Pam who kind of keeps everything together. She's sort of like in operations, so she's really the go-to for everyone, and then she's the person that we go to um, ourselves, but it's still very much every day, and we've just launched We Love Numbers in um, January as well. So those are our sort of two babies that we're really focusing on, and it's every day, every day. You know, that's all I'm pretty much dealing with and focusing on and thinking about. You've mentioned We Love Numbers now, so but you were actually involved or are part owners or full owners in five businesses. Mm-hmm. So you've started Wealth Enhancers, We Love Numbers, and Wealth um, and We Private. Yeah. What are the other ones? Did you start those, or did you um, identify those as good investment opportunities and investors? Yeah, so Grow My Team, we have a significant investment in, um, and as such, we are kind of like a little bit involved. So we, in terms of at a board level, so it's not a Certainly on a silent investment, like we, we are quite involved. Um, Grow My Team is where we built, is the company that we use to build our um, international, to do all our international recruiting. So we've got about 15 team members in South Africa and the Philippines, um, other parts of the world as well that work for us through Grow My Team. And we just saw what a transformation it made in our business. So, you know, decided to invest in it at a very early stage. Um, is that the first company that you invested in? That was, uh, yeah, pretty much. We had some minor shareholdings in some other. Yeah, that's pretty much the first one. Um, was there much of a project that you went to before you decided to invest in Grow My Team? Not really. Like, it was so early stage that we were able to get in pretty, it was sort of relatively uncomplicated, if that makes sense. So the founder, you know, is a friend of ours, and we chatted, and we thought that it's such a good business, and we could really take it to another level, and so we wanted to get involved, and... Yeah, it was, it was pretty easy because it was really in its infancy when we when we got it. So that was a good one. Um, it was obviously the league, which we're involved in. Finn has a um, property syndicate, so they buy like commercial properties um, and try to improve the leasing and then sell them. Different different motivations for, for strategy, but um, yeah. And then we've sort of invested in a couple of other startups, much more complicated processes where you're going through due diligence and... These are startups that are really actually going out and raising capital. I mean, with Grow My Team, they weren't necessarily looking. We weren't either. It was just a really good match. Um, but, yeah, we're sort of starting to invest in. We've got an investment in Logify, which is a technology platform coming out of Spain. Um, a couple other things we're looking at at the moment. But. So how do you identify those that you do want to invest in, like Logify? What stood out for you with that business? Um, with that one, a friend of ours was looking at it and came to us, so that's how we kind of heard about it. Um, but I guess, you know, it's really looking at what's the possible kind of market that they're going for, what's the possible upside, um, how much do you need to invest? Like for me, it's a big question of how much do we need to invest to get a significant, like to make it meaningful, um, but how much am I willing to invest? What percentage is significant for you? Well, it's not necessarily the percentage, I think. It's just, um, it's more being able to invest in something that you think is going to make a difference, that, that's going to grow a lot. So in the past few months, what is the smallest change you've made that has made the biggest positive result? Um, in the past few months, I'd say about a little longer, about a year and a half to two years ago, we started doing our positivity routine every morning. That has made a significant impact in my life but it's actually been the last few months that I've really understood what that impact is so in the beginning it was nice and I was spending half an hour each morning focusing my thoughts on you know being positive and stuff. So making through that routine what does that actually involve? Yeah so what Finn and I both do it and a lot of our team members do it as well 
the, first, the moment you wake up, your first thought is just, you know, what am I on earth to do today? And you just really start with that question and just framing, you know, the impact that you're going to have on this planet in that day. Um, and then we spend 10 minutes just basically lying there or sitting in a comfortable spot, just thinking about all the things that we're grateful for, all of the things that are good in our lives, and starting to kind of think about the things that we're heading toward, like what are we trying to manifest, what are we trying to create in our life? Start sort of visualising that as well. Then I spend 10 minutes, or we spend 10 minutes reading a positive book. So basically like a business book or a personal development book, something like that. Just positive literature that makes you, you know, gets the creative juices flowing and makes you get in a good frame of mind, like a forward thinking, you know, motivated frame of mind. And then we journal for 10 minutes. So write about positive things and um, you know, how we're feeling about things. And I think the journaling is something that I was always, I was a bit slack on it sometimes. Sometimes I do it, sometimes I wouldn't. But that's the bit that I really feel, I've started doing it religiously over the last couple of months, and that's where I've really felt significant improvement. So that's the, the bit that I was referring to. I think just giving yourself that space to think and reflect on you know, your intuition, things that you're learning about yourself, about others, um, and giving yourself that space to do it that every day is amazing. I don't know what it is about writing physically with a pen, but... I think a connection, because yeah. I actually did a short story course once, and they said... They uh, don't encourage you to type your stories. They encourage you to get a book and actually yeah. write them physically because it, you have that physical connection to the pen to the paper, yeah. which actually is more meaningful apparently. So. Well, I've noticed that. And mm. it's, I think it's really helped me develop myself. And you know, when we're talking about things like the self-doubt and fear and those kinds of things, like it's really helping me just to remove all that crap. But now if I see, like I don't watch the news or anything really, and if I see that, like my eyes bleed. I'm like, seriously, this is just horrible. Mm. I don't need that in my life. And cutting that out of my life for a couple of years, you know, all of the things stressed about and have anxiety about, I don't even think about it anymore. So excluding yours, what company or business do you admire the most? I love, as a brand, ASOP, the skincare. I really just love everything that they do with their marketing, what they stand for. I think they're just such a beautiful brand. They're, the way they do their e-newsletters even, I think they just send them out whenever they've got something good to say rather than being all scheduled and stuff like that. And they always have really interesting, thought-provoking things and their products are just gorgeous. Um, but I also just love, you know, I'm actually really in love with Uber at the moment. I, I caught an Uber this morning, UberX. I catch UberX all the time. And I just had this great chat with the driver and he was just telling me about how Uber has changed his life and he felt like he got his life back. He came here from Bangladesh 15 years ago. He's had a horrible time. And then he started driving Ubers about four months ago and he feels like he's free. He can have lunch with his wife every day. He can see his child. You know, and I just think it's just amazing. Like for me, yes, as a service, it's incredible. It's so easy to use and I can do it all over the world. There's all that convenience, which I love. But a company like that and Lyft and some of the other ones that are out there, it's giving people a chance to take their life into their own hands and really, you know, be, I guess, entrepreneurs in a little, little way. Uh, and I just think it's beautiful, the conversations that I've had with Uber drivers more recently, you have conversations with people that you'd never have. It's mm. amazing. These amazing platforms that are being built on technology that, it's like Airbnb and yeah, eBay. And, yeah. You know, yeah, they're all very, very I mean, I love that whole shared economy. Like, I yeah. use Airbnb all the time when yeah. I travel. Like, well, Airbnb, I love Airbnb because their tagline is you belong anywhere. Yeah. And actually, you will stand someone else's home, but it's such a special experience because they have welcomed you into their home and they've made a special experience and you don't feel like you're in a hotel and you're just a number mm -hmm. coming and going, you actually matter. And when you travel a lot, as I do, I mean, you get pretty sick of hotels, you know, and you become really snobby as well because you travel, you're in hotels all the time and you're like, 
Oh, this one's a bit oh, I don't know about this. It's like, come on, this is beautiful. Like, I would have dreamed of staying in a place like this. And hotels are more cold, I think. They yeah. are an institutional feeling. Going, going and staying in someone's house, you just feel connected to them. Mm. Oh. Finally, if you had to leave your organisation for a year and the only communication you could have with your employees was one single sentence, what would you write? Keep being funny, then. That's high five that. <laughs> yeah. Over a cliff. Has anyone watched Scandal? We love it in our company. Everyone's gliding over. They go over a cliff. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's been a joy having you here and I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Our extraordinary stories will be coming to you weekly. Every Monday morning we'll be releasing a new one from an extraordinary female entrepreneur that we'll be chatting with. So I hope you got some great value out of today and I hope you'll be tuning in next time. So I look forward to chatting with you next week.